Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hey goddess, welcome back to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here and I can't wait to share this episode with you because it is such an inspiring interview and I know that you're going to take so much away from our guest Em and her story. Before we dive in though, I wanted to quickly let you know that if there's ever anything that you really want to learn about, any topics, desires, challenges, things that you're experiencing that you want some guidance on, I would love to hear from you because this podcast and all of the effort and all of the intention behind it is to help you, to empower you, to guide you. So I really value your input and I would always love to hear from you and hear your feedback. So if there's anything that you do really want to learn about that I haven't covered, make sure that you send me a DM on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth. If you don't already follow me, and I look forward to hearing from some of you and hearing your feedback, hearing your insight, and making sure that the show is really amazing for you. So, without further ado, we're going to dive into this episode, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Hey Em, so good to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Hi Amy, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. I've been wanting to interview you for ages because I think you have an amazing story and so much to share that's so inspiring. So I'm really excited to dive in straight away. Before we go there, I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. My name is Em Deacon. I'm 31 years old. Um, I'm a mum. I'm also a medical doctor, but I've kind of left that to one side for the time being. Um, And I am living and thriving with stage four cancer. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story of, you know, going overnight from being a medical doctor to living with cancer to experiencing that? And how that has been for you? Because I know that you've been through like a lot of growth through this experience and you're also a mum. So I would love to kind of dive into the emotional experience of this. Yeah, sure. So I think definitely I can uh, relate when you say the growth part. And thank you for noticing because I 100% feel like a different um, person when I think back to the time when I was diagnosed in comparison to now. So. It was back in December 2018. Um, It was a weekend when I first kind of 
thought that something might be up. I was taking a bath and it was one of the rare occasions where my mum was looking after my daughter Sophia. So I was enjoying the luxury of a you know relaxing bath rather than a rushed shower. And I was thinking about the fact that my breasts had been tender recently. Um, and actually, a couple of weeks prior to this day, I had done a pregnancy test because I thought um, the only time that I could ever remember having tender breasts was when I was pregnant. So, um, but obviously it was negative. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I should have a feel. So I had a feel of one of my breasts and I noticed quite a hard lump. lump. Um, and immediately I started to cry. Um, the instinctive part of me knew that something wasn't right, but it was a Saturday, so there was nowhere I could see the doctor. So I just kind of put it to the back of my mind and said, you know, when I get the chance, I'll go and get it checked out. Um, that weekend, I mentioned it to my sister, who's also a doctor, and she had a feel. And this time, as she was feeling the lump, some blood actually came out of my nipple. We both started crying, but we were able to kind of pull ourselves together and reassure ourselves with the fact that, you know, I was, you know, fit, healthy and well other than this. And I was only 30. So, you know, odds were it was nothing. But fast forward um, to the next week, I was going to wait. Um, I was going to wait a week to actually get it checked out because I didn't have a day off from work. But my sister kind of encouraged me and said, you know, can't be looking after other people and giving them your full attention if you're worrying about this. And, you know, you've got to look after yourself first. So when I got it checked out, GP, again, reassured, probably nothing, but let's send you up to the hospital. And then sort of fast forward, you know, a couple of weeks of invasive tests, biopsies, scans, lots of appointments. And they found that not only did I have the 10 centimeter breast cancer, but I also had five tumors in my liver, one in my spine and one in my neck. It was unbelievable, unbelievable. What threw me most was not the fact that it was breast cancer, but the kind of extent um, and the fact that my doctor was now telling me that um, my treatment would be palliative to kind of prolong my life rather than them thinking they could cure me. And in fact, they're quite direct in wanting, they don't want to give false hope. So, you know, their exact words are, this is not curable. It's about prolonging your life and buying you time. And I, I, promised myself I wouldn't ask when I went in about you know prognosis and how long have I got but I think when you're in that situation obviously your kind of plan goes out the window so I did ask and unfortunately they said average everyone's different but average survival with what you've got is three and a half years it was devastating because I was only 30 I my daughter was one at the time it shattered my world it shattered everything that I thought I knew about my life and where it would go yeah I feel really emotional even just hearing your story. I can't even imagine. And, you know, I've had a lot of women in my life close to me who have also been through that discovering a lump in their breast. And it's just in my mind, like the worst kind of situation you could probably picture yourself being in and also having a young daughter. I can't even begin to imagine mm -hmm. how devastating that must have been for you to experience that. So once you went through that kind of initial discovery process and finding out what happened next? So at that time, as you can probably imagine, I felt like my life was over and that I could potentially drop dead at any minute. And I never imagined then that I would be where I am now, a year and a half-ish down the line, feeling more happy, more fulfilled, stronger, healthier. 
than I have ever felt before. So it's really kind of weird. So in terms of what happened next, I'd say the time that I left that appointment where I got the news, the best thing that my oncologist could have ever done for me was to say that we can't cure you because it really freed me up to think, right, they have been upfront and honest and said that they can't uh, cure me, but now I can go off and explore other ways to heal and to reclaim my health. So yeah, so I left that appointment not feeling like that. But over the next couple of weeks, that's kind of the position that I ended up in. And then I just immersed myself in everything positive, everything healing focused. I was just curious to see what is out there. Yeah. Amazing. And what sort of things did you start to uncover and discover as you went on that healing journey? So I guess one thing I should say is that I've always embraced conventional medical treatment as well, and I've done that and it's been amazing and my medical team are amazing but through their own you know expression that is limited in terms of what it can do I really feel that you know sky's the limit and I so the things that I did I guess were in addition to all of that treatment I just immersed myself in books by people who had either been through these sorts of experiences and taken a more integrated holistic approach or people who had curated the experiences of others in similar situations. Um, and one of the most amazing books I came across was called Radical Remission. And it's by a lady called Dr. Kelly Turner. And she was kind of like a, I think a counselor or a psychologist for people who were diagnosed with, you know, palliative cancers. And she came across one patient who actually had by miles outlived the most severe horrific prognosis and she mentioned it to her the oncologist and the medical doctors that she was working with and they said you know have you ever come across this type of thing and they said we have but we are not in the game of providing false hope so you know don't go shouting about this from the rooftops and she said okay yeah that's fair enough but have you studied these individuals who are anomalies and they said, no, we haven't. And from then she went off on a mission. And I think it's been over a, a decade now that she's kind of gone out there, traveled the world and, you know, researched and studied these people who have outlived these drastic, horrific prognoses. And she put together a list of the kind of factors that were coming up as things that people had changed. And that was really my starting point to go off and explore myself. And the things that, 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 came up as common themes were things like connecting with humans and deepening those connections, meditation and exercise and looking at their nutrition and overcoming suppressed emotions. And these were things that were just not on my radar, even though I was a medical doctor who had specialized in mental health. These things were just not part and parcel of my day-to-day -day life. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was mind-blowing. Yeah, it's fascinating when you start exploring, isn't it? And mm. something I love to work with, and maybe you've explored this too, is looking at the physical disease in the body and how that correlates to certain emotions that we suppress or certain traumas that we don't fully process. So have yeah. you found that you've learned a lot about your emotions and yourself through this process? Yeah, I really have. I've learned so much. I think that Initially, I was skeptical. <laughs> I think most people. Um, yeah, <laughs> because at medical school and doctors know about the fact that stress affects the immune system on a basic level, and there are many studies which show that if you take people who 
self-report as being very stressed and expose them to the cold virus or the flu virus, they're much more likely to contract it and to get symptoms than exposing the same person in a lab environment who doesn't feel stressed and who feels well. So it's widely accepted that stress affects the immune system and many bodily functions, but not on a complex level with conditions that are complex like cancer. And most of our human experiences are complex. So I've had to stop thinking in that way and really think about myself as an individual and work out what's working for me. And I know that when I draw on tools that allow me to feel grounded and to manage my stress effectively, I feel better mentally and physically. And given that the two are one, it's definitely something that I've come to really value and advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like you said, we know that those emotions that accompany stress create the physical manifestation. Yeah. When we're stressed, we might have a breakout in the skin, you know, yeah. angry looking skin or yeah. mm-hmm. we might have our hair fall out or certainly yeah. happen physically. But it's interesting how the mainstream science hasn't really like put it fully together yet, but it's starting yeah. to change now. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your process of learning about yourself of your process of healing were there certain changes that you made were there certain things that you changed in your lifestyle and your schedule in the way that you invested your energy in others and brought it back to yourself like what has been the personal growth through that when I got diagnosed I chose to leave medicine because you know when you're told you've got potentially three and a half years to live and you have a little baby at home you've got to think carefully about how you want to spend that time so that was my primary motivation but what it actually did is give me time to explore so because prior to this diagnosis I was literally on a treadmill I I was often doing night shift working weekends studying around my job to make sure that I was up to date with the latest research my life was literally just going past in a blur I wasn't consciously thinking about it at all it was just tick box after tick box and ironic that in a role where you're looking after other people you don't even give yourself your mind body or spirit a second thought so anyway through leaving work I was able to kind of for the first time ever start to think about myself and I guess it's huge but some of the areas that I would draw out um, that I've really kind of grown in are tapping into my intuition weirdly something that I just had never done before (laughs) I was somebody who was logical and rational and looking at evidence and studies and And I never actually looked within and having started to look within and going on this amazing journey over the last 18 months, it has just changed my life. It's brought me a great sense of comfort and peace because I'm living in alignment and I'm no longer constantly in a state of anguish about various decisions that I make because I, I know that I'm on the right path. It's really difficult to put into words, but it's changed everything um so there's that i've also become an avid meditator Um, i still struggle with it at times as i'm sure many people do but that's one of the tools that i find so useful practicing gratitude as well is a big thing for me and and so is affirmation that's been a game changer for me because i didn't realize that all of us are actually using affirmation all the time without realizing it but it just so happens that it's usually negative. (laughs) So I've definitely kind of 
taking control of that part of it. And then there's the more kind of tangible areas where I've changed my life in terms of nutrition and exercise and things like that. Mm -hmm. So a really holistic approach to all of this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And would you say you feel like now you are taking better care of yourself compared to before? Without a doubt, without a doubt. I don't, I don't think I actually took care of myself before. Um, I think that I was like many people who are just not taught that it's something that we have to do actively and consciously. Um, I kind of just didn't realize that that was a part of life, looking after yourself. I just kind of anticipated that, you know, the bare essentials that you needed to do for yourself, you would do and that that would suffice. But I'm so happy in a way that this has happened because what I'm teaching my daughter is something completely different. And that is one of the best things to come out of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is a bit of a feminine narrative that gets passed on this this role of being the martyr for others. And it's interesting because the breasts are so connected to our heart. Yeah. Being in our heart means being with ourselves, you know, not always pouring out into everybody else all the time, but actually taking care and loving ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot, a lot of women are taught not to do that, to feel bad about that, that we always have to be giving and giving and giving and doing for everyone else. So I think it's beautiful that she's, your daughter seeing this other world that she can live into this possibility of self-love. Thank you, Amy. And I think what you said just there really touched a nerve with me. I don't normally talk about my mum, but I will on this occasion. She's a GP, a doctor as well. And she is an amazing mother, fantastic. But she very much has and still does live her life to serve others. And it is almost like commended to be, and it's seen as the righteous path to be neglecting yourself kind of and to be stressed and that is the way that she kind of has lived and and that's the kind of example that I was given so when I was growing up it was actually we had a lot of nannies and au pairs who were there looking after us because my mum was at work and that wasn't seen as a bad thing and it's not necessarily a bad thing but it's just something that I think is a factor in terms of I then went on to kind of start down that same path and I personally do believe that that is connected to my health issue now. It can be important to reflect on these things so that we can be conscious in our decision making going forward. Definitely. And to break certain patterns if we feel like they're mm. not serving us and yeah. the generations yeah. to come. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is that we often kind of think that that path of giving, hustling, grinding, is more fruitful in terms of productivity and outcomes. But actually, there's a lot of emerging evidence to show that it's, it's not. You lose efficiency, you get burnt out, and you know you might be present, and there's this whole thing of presenteeism, but what is generated out of it is often not the best. I think companies like Google, who you know have in-house yoga and massage therapists coming in, they're... <laughs> They're, I, I, I think they're onto the right uh, path and I don't think they're doing it out of goodness of their hearts. I think they know that that's what equates to <laughs> um, productivity. <laughs> totally. It's like having that balance of creative time, but sometimes creative time is rest, you know, or spending mm. time you love so that you can be nourished at your core and then, you know, show up in a different context with your productivity. Definitely. 
Definitely. Yeah. So you posted an amazing photo. Uh, I think it was in mid-Feb showing your scars and showing the kind of physical effects of some of your treatments on your body Mm. as a woman. Obviously, much of this comes from our conditioning around how we should look, what it means to be beautiful on the outside. Even if you just look at social media, like everything's smoothed out, you know? So how has your journey been with your transforming physical body and your scars and kind of bearing that? Like, what has that been like for you in terms of your confidence and your self-esteem? That is a really, really, really good question. So just to give the listeners a little bit of an insight into some of the things that you're referring to. So as part of the cancer treatment, I have had my ovaries removed Um, so that means that I'm only 31 but I'm in the menopause some of us might not realize but our hormones keep us you know our skin looking young and prevent our bones from aching and there's all of that sort of thing and keep our memory going and so I've had my ovaries removed and so I've got a couple of scars on my abdomen I'm not as sharp as I used to be because of it and I break out in a, a like an embarrassing hot flush and literally dripping and drenched in sweat several times a day and that's quite embarrassing when I'm out and about Um, but then more recently I had um, my right breast removed Um, I opted not to have reconstructive surgery so you can either have an implant or you can have um, muscle or fat from other areas of your body put there I chose not to do that and then recently I had radiotherapy which burnt the whole of my chest so I'm mixed race, so I'm kind of like a, a brown color. I ended up with my chest having right breast removed and then literally, you know, like much, much darker than my own complexion. That whole area was burnt. And then it, sorry if people are a bit squeamish, but it peeled off, um, leaving like pink flesh underneath visible. And that is still healing now. It's much better than it was at the peak in February. But yeah, it's definitely affected my body image but not as severely as I may have anticipated that it would have years ago if if anyone were to ever tell me that my external appearance would have ended up looking like this. I think in a way the cancer woke me up as to what is important to me and when when you're kind of in a position where you're starting on the back foot you could die so anything that kind of comes on top of that is not as bad so I'm I'm just grateful to be alive with air in my lungs and my heart beating, even if that does mean that I have, you know, what some other people might describe as a disfiguring kind of physical appearance. I'd say most of the time it doesn't get to me, but sometimes it does. So I have the option of wearing a prosthetic, um, so like a little insert into my bra. and And I do use that when I just can't be bothered to go out and have people look at me and notice the asymmetry and just don't want to get into that line of conversation or yeah when I want to feel how I felt before in terms of getting dressed up and going out and having fun I'd say I'm kind of new to this well-being space and I think it's always a fine balance in terms of you know not getting too caught up in the physical and appearances but I would be lying if I said that I don't still like to put on makeup do my hair and you know get dressed up and things which I do and when I'm feeling in those modes yeah I'll I'll put the prosthetic in and I'll kind of disguise it and things yeah Yeah, I resonate with that I think I'm the same in that like I I love spirituality and rituals and I love kind of like 
going away on a retreat and getting down to the bare bones. But I also love to, you know, have a fake tan and wear makeup, yeah. things like that. And I do think that when the intention is right and when you are working on your self-esteem at its core, those things can be a bit of a boost. They can be nourishing in certain contexts, certainly. Yeah. And I just think we need to be a bit careful about, when I say we, I mean society as well. I think sometimes in the wellness spirituality space, we can be a little bit righteous and a little bit judgy if somebody does choose to still kind of invest in, you know, aspects of their appearance. So I guess I'm just putting it out there that, yes, I think I'm growing spiritually and I care about what's in the inside more, but I still think, you know, we can get dressed up and want to feel a little bit boosted and that's fine as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. And everyone's on their own journey, you know, exactly. stuff. And my, my belief is like in body autonomy, it's like as women reclaiming mm. our sovereignty over what we want to do with our bodies. If you want to put breast implants in your body and that makes you feel like fire, like go for it. If exactly. You know, grow your armpit hair and not give any fucks like that's also cool you know yes <laughs> I think for me like the the power for us is reclaiming that as women for so long where yeah. we haven't had that autonomy and like yeah. we all have our insecurities even when you've done years of work like you're still going to have your stuff so um, I really appreciate you being honest about that as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's all about autonomy. You put it much more eloquently than me, so I won't um, <laughs> even attempt. But yeah, I think let us each just own our bodies and do what we want to do with them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So through this experience of having this disease in the body, this illness in the body, how has that shifted your relationship with your body? Is that relationship more positive? Is it negative? Is it neutral? What has been the shifting relationship there? So it's definitely, definitely, definitely shifted. Um, Prior to the cancer diagnosis, I think people would have viewed me as being somebody who was healthy and fit um, because So after I had my daughter, I got really into fitness, um, did my personal training qualification and was in the best shape of my life post baby. But now I'm looking back, I know that that was not peak health and I wasn't health focused. I was more aesthetic focused. Um, So I still exercise regularly now, but it's with love. And I used to before like lift quite a lot of weights and things like that to kind of define your you know superficial muscles and things like that but now I, I don't do that anymore I'm when I'm exercising it's from love and it's I want to be strong and fit and healthy and so it's a mix now of like yoga resistance training some cardio which is mainly for my mind if anything and to get those endorphins it's the same really with my food I eat so much healthily now but I'm not, if someone were to look at me, I'm technically not in as good shape as I was, you know, a couple of years ago, but I know that I'm internally much healthier. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. now about, yeah, nurturing, nourishment. It's not about restriction and yeah, that side of thing. So when you received your diagnosis, were you quite surprised then, you know, being in the medical industry, having this awareness of healthy, behaviors like fitness and being in the best shape of your life were you really surprised Mm. by that 
Yeah, I was really, really, really shocked because it's very rare for someone at the age of 30 to get cancer, number one, but number two, to have it where it's already spread to the rest of their body. And also, yeah, I was in great shape and I was seemingly healthy. So I was completely, completely, completely shocked. But you know what? It just shows that it can happen to anyone and it shows that we don't understand illnesses like cancer. We don't know why people get them. I didn't have any risk factors and I have no family history. Doctors would say that it's just one of those things that, you know, we just don't have the answer for. The more and more I delve into my healing, I feel like I'm seeing, you know, how this could have manifested. And I'm quite cautious talking about this kind of subject because cancer is a very sensitive topic. When I say things like this, it's not about blaming anyone for, you know, cancer or having cancer. And I'm not talking about anyone else. Everybody's situation is different. But for me personally, I'm just starting to see that things like my childhood trauma and repressed emotion and the way that I have dealt with things over the course of my life cannot have helped and may have contributed not as being the only factor but just you know one of many that may have led me to this kind of situation mm-hmm. yeah you wrote in a post recently about you you know you're healing from stage four cancer but you're also healing from childhood trauma starvation of your soul and identity shifts it would be really cool to hear more about that and maybe some of the work that you've been doing around these areas to promote that greater healing? Yeah, yeah, sure. In terms of the childhood trauma, my family growing up, my parents are both professionals. My mum's a doctor, my dad was a lecturer, um, and there were four of us children, but, um, and my mum was often absent for, you know, righteous reasons, working. And my dad was very authoritarian, strict, slash, abusive it's still something that I'm processing not sexually abusive or anything like that but did cross the line in terms of discipline and that kind of left me feeling difficulty in expressing myself and actually it taught me that my role was not to be an individual or it was to kind of toe the line and you know do what I should be doing and that was often to be seen and not heard. And that kind of, I, 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 that, your childhood shapes you. And for me, I carried on with those internal monologues as I grew into adulthood. And that, I guess, took the form of me continuing to be somebody who was liked and likable. And that often meant avoiding conflict and anticipating what people may want from you or what may please them what they may like and providing it and always kind of being in a state of high arousal just to kind of foresee any potential problems but but all the while appearing cool calm and collected on the outside Um, and that I think does internal damage when you're constantly in that heightened state of arousal but suppressing it to the extent that nobody else can necessarily pick up on it so that is something I'm really trying to work on um, and that has taken the form of me just you know trying to be more expressive in all of my relationships in terms of making my needs and views and opinions heard which is really difficult when you're not somebody who is used to you know coping and managing relationships in that way 
because for me what comes most naturally and what's easier is to keep it all in and say yes yes agree and then you know maybe have these thoughts in the back of my mind but never actually act on them so that's been a lot of work and I think when you're doing that kind of work it gets more difficult before it gets easier and I feel like I'm coming out the other side and I've actually unfortunately had to limit some relationships to the point that there are certain people I'm not really in regular contact with and that was something I didn't want to ever I ever I never wanted to do because I always thought that you know to harbor negativity or to end relationships that you'd be carrying around feelings where you know you're holding on to things and I believe in forgiveness but now I see that you can forgive and move on but that doesn't mean you need to keep exposing yourself to the trauma and the toxicity really so that's one one of the things that I'm kind of healing from and working on at the moment um, which I never talk about one of the main reasons I never talk about it is because so I'm mixed race my dad's black and my mum's white and I know that there is a lot of negative stereotypes of black men and I have never wanted to share my own personal stories to contribute to that and to give you know nasty people more ammunition um, but now I realize that me and my family aren't the ambassadors for anything really and that I can still use my voice and share my unique story I have to get it out it's it's part of the process I think yeah. um yeah yeah well thank and you for sharing that you know with us there's something about you that just uh is I think makes it for people to kind of open up and I I just I do I'll just finish on that before we move on to something else that's, that's saying that you know my both my parents are great but no parent is perfect but yeah there are there were difficult things that happened yeah yeah for sure and you know so many people resonate with that I certainly resonate with what you said and the conflict that we experience when we're going through a trauma releasing process is just a reenactment of the original trauma where you're a child and you go I'm hurting right now but I love that person what yeah what do I do and so yeah. you know in your case to stay safe, to kind of survive, to assimilate, to show your love even. It's like, keep quiet, stay in the box, stay between the lines, don't upset anybody and then, you know, stay safe and then maybe it will be okay. But, and same, very similar like experience for me as well around like, keep quiet, stay cool and collected on the outside and just break out and suppress it internally like you I kind of got to this point in my life where I was getting sick in different ways and I was like you know what if I don't break the pattern if I keep reenacting this this is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and it's not helping me anymore so those hard conversations and that kind of like hard part of awakening I think it's really Mm. good to talk about that because Mm. people go through that and they don't have a roadmap for that because they haven't heard anyone share it. I think you're completely right. And that's one of the reasons that I kind of feel compelled to share because we all have trauma and difficult experiences that are wide and varying, but it's important that we share because it does free up other people to know that, you know, they're not abnormal. There is no such thing as normal and that, yeah, it's okay to to share and, and that, yeah, that is a part of healing. Yeah. Mm. I think that's the big misconception that everyone seems to have is that 
every other person is normal and every other family is normal. And also that trauma is only, you know, like trauma in the movies where it's like mm. you're on the poverty line and you don't have mm. any feed and there's, you know, mm. there's rape and there's like, you know, the intense versions of trauma that we are familiar with, but there are so many smaller versions of that or like longer term traumas that so many mm. people aren't aware of or familiar with. And they're denying themselves healing because they think that their experience is not valid or not bad enough or not traumatic enough to look into that, to seek that support, to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So what has this experience taught you collectively about your relationship with your daughter and raising her? I actually, I never thought that I would end up saying this, but this has been such a blessing in terms of my mothering and hopefully what I could sort of pass on to her. I feel like I'm awake now. Prior to this, I always viewed myself as a conscious parent and thought that I would be parenting consciously. But the diagnosis has made me realize that I was still being led by fear, I guess, as a parent. But fortunately, this has taken away a lot of my fear and brought clarity because my worst fear is, you know, what if I'm not here to mother her? And all that that has done is bring focus about what I want to convey and teach. And before the diagnosis, I felt that I was here to protect her and shield her. And now I actually think it's more to equip her with self-belief and self-love and from this young age, she's nearly three now, so we're able to actually have conversations now. But just I've, the thing that I'm trying to convey most to her is that she has intuition and an inner voice that speaks to her and that it's there to be listened to at this young age and that it will be there with her forever. As much as it's safe, I try to let her guide you know, aspects of our lives. And I'm fortunate that she, she's not a challenging child to mother so letting her guide is not opening us up to you know destruction and chaos <laughs> at all when she grows up I just want her to trust herself and have good self-esteem and confidence yeah because you know none of us can predict the challenges that we're going to face but we can just build ourselves up so that whatever pops up we're in the best position to kind of handle handle that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you live with the time prognosis that they gave you and originally, like, I can just only so almost superficially imagine like me as a mother and with kids, you're thinking about that each age, each leap that mm-hmm. they're at, each stage. Mm-hmm. How, how does it feel to kind of live into that unknown, but also have that kind of like number timing yeah back of the mind yeah that's a really good question and actually that is the thing when I first got diagnosed that was the most difficult I would be walking around down the street and I would see um a girl I don't know maybe nine or something with curly hair with her mum and I'd think oh maybe that's what my Sophia will look like when she's nine not on a conscious level but it just kept coming back into my mind or maybe maybe she'll look like that when she's this age because I was kind of thinking I'm not going to be here to see it so you know you just your imagination goes wild 
now fortunately I've kind of stopped doing that I've managed to kind of get through that phase I'd say you know you you flip between for me anyway I flip between on the one hand you know if it wasn't for having a child I would be off island hopping somewhere living kind of (laughs) without thinking about the future but she forced me to kind of stay um, with that kind of you you have you want to be consistent and things like that so I'd say how do I how do I manage it? It's difficult with difficulty. Lots of the time I'm fine and I just stay, try to stay present, but still plan for the future because I believe that, you know, if I'm planning for the future to an extent and living as though I will be here, I actually believe that that increases my chances of being here rather than getting caught up in a negative spiral of, oh, you know, three and a half years, that's it, that's it, that's it. I genuinely believe that I'm going to outlive the prognosis. I don't know to what extent, but I I have, you know, full conviction that I will. So for me, it's not a great worry in that sense. I've somehow managed to believe that. And that's, and and I, I will say, I feel that that's what I'm manifesting because all my scan results at the moment have been so positive. The cancer is not really actually detectable at the moment. So yeah, Sorry, that was a bit of a jumbled answer. I believe that too. I believe that too. It's the biology of the belief, right? If mm. if we go with a theory that our emotions create our physiology, at least to some extent, mm. then positive emotions, positive frequency, faith, mm. presumably results in the inverse. And, you know, when we look at the blue zones of the world, which uh, other zones of the world where people live into like amazing health, usually, you know, up until a hundred, one of the consistent things across those places that are all quite different culturally in terms of their diet and things like that is that they all have some kind of faith and belief system. So whether that is God or gods or, uh, the faith of like community and coming together in some sort of mm. ritual or ceremony and connection. And so presumably we can create that for ourselves as well in our healing from anything yeah definitely I think that that's really fascinating I'm a believer that you know having a belief and having faith and purpose and kind of um, a sense of scale and perspective is healing and health giving yeah amazing Mm -hmm. so what's next for you on this journey I think that one of the things that I'm trying to do is not kind of think, right, that's it, tick the box, I beat, <laughs> I beat cancer. Um, because I think that it's a continual piece of work to keep prioritizing your health and your happiness. It's, it's not something that's achieved. I think it's something you have to keep working on. For me, the area that I'm kind of working most on is just keeping it light and keeping it fun. I think we can get way too serious about stress management and well-being and that's the opposite of what it's supposed to be um so I'm 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 doing that and I've recently started working in marketing for a beauty and cosmetics company which is fantastic for me because it doesn't relate to medicine it's not being a doctor and you know kind of absorbing other people's problems and it's 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 just a creative space where I can not be a cancer patient every day if that makes sense so I'm going to keep doing that and I also run well-being themed workshops and do a little bit of motivational speaking here and there but I'm quite careful to kind of not do too much of that because it is very kind of draining and I never want to get burnt out um but yeah I just I just want to keep 
spreading the message of empowerment when it comes to health and happiness and just not accepting labels that others might put on you and just yeah that is something I'm really passionate about and I want to keep doing and I, I mainly use my Instagram as my platform to kind of spread those messages. Amazing and for anyone who's listening who is potentially at the start of this process or this journey maybe they just had a diagnosis themselves of cancer of something else of something that has changed the course of their destiny what advice would you leave them with? I guess I would say when you first get the news or realize what's going on, it's going to be life shattering and devastating and allow yourself those feelings to feel them and to go through them. But once you are able to, or once that period of time passes, just tap into your intuition it is there to be listened to to guide you as to how best to manage your situation I'm always weary of trying to present or portray that there's some sort of formula to overcome life challenges because I don't believe that is I think we're all individuals and our our intuition is there to guide us of how best to proceed for our situation and I guess I the one thing I would say is that you are never ever helpless you can always be empowered and there is always something that good that can come on the horizon you just have to I guess have faith and be open to it because I was a palliative patient who was it was being predicted you know that I would only go downhill from there and that I would be pretty frail by now but that's just not what's happened and I've never been happier more fulfilled never felt stronger and I'd say that that's just down to letting my intuition guide me so I'd encourage anybody who's facing a challenge to do the same for themselves amazing yeah well you definitely don't look frail and downhill you look radiant and healthy (laughs) and amazing thank you Amy thank you (laughs) thank you thank you so much thank you oh thank you who want to come find you, where should they come seek you out? I'd say the main place is my Instagram, um, which is M living her best life, all one word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amy. This is, you, we've spoken about things that I never talk about. You've just got such an amazing energy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you, and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is this is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful and it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode and until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.